Recently, Hamas attacked Israel, and the Israelis responded by bombing in the Gaza Strip, where children died because Hamas soldiers were hiding near them. What's the righteous thing to do in that situation? Welcome to The Conquering Truth. I'm Dan Horn. I'm Jonathan Sides. I'm Charles Churchill. And I'm Joshua Horn. So soldiers from Hamas invaded Israel. They killed babies in their cribs, I think even decapitated them. They kidnapped grandmothers. They kidnapped children. They took them back across the Gaza Strip to hold them as hostages to prevent the Israeli response to attack. And they basically, there was no constraint on what they did. They they had no hesitation whatsoever to attack non-combatants. They went to a, to a, basically a music festival and shot that up where there was a lot of young people. They were intentionally targeting non-combatants. But then what happens is, what usually happens is, is the Israelis respond. And because the Hamas soldiers hide themselves among the citizens of, of Gaza, and they, they end up dying. Children die. And... The media then reports how evil it is what Israel is doing in killing these children. Even though they're hiding, you know, this, the idea is that the Hamas says we'll be protected because Israel won't kill the children, and it probably does reduce some of the attacks. So in such a case, what, what should Israel do? Part of what you have to do when you're answering a question like that, and it's a, is recognized, just, it's a really complicated question. Because there, you would say, if you want to lay out the principles of just war, is that you don't kill non-combatants. You'd like to say that, but then you have to say that there's there are layers of complexity here that are more than just what's happening this week in the news. That there's some background to this. There's some history to this. There's there are reasons that Hamas is there right now. And those reasons are relevant to how we judge the circumstances or how, say, the Israelis should decide to respond to that. It's not like Hamas is an invading force that came out of nowhere and is just making home base there. It's, it's relevant that you should say that the, the leadership of Hamas was elected by the people of the Gaza Strip back in 2006. They said, we want these people to be in power over us. And so you've got to start there that this, that there is, you, you have to say there has to be some collective responsibility for who you pick to be over you. And then the actions that they decide to make are going to have consequences that trickle down to you. And we have to recognize that there's this twisting that goes on in the mainstream media and it, very specifically in relation to Israel, because it, it works differently, right? If, if, uh, you know, if other nations did this, there there is a lot of anti-Semitism in the world, and there is a lot of let's make it sound as bad as we can for Israel. But what we would never do is if the Republicans voted to go to war in the Senate, we would never say the Republicans are going to war. We would go, the U.S. is going to war. So why do we say Hamas? It's not Hamas. The, the Gaza citizens are going to war. Like you said, they voted for Hamas. This is their representative government. Now, Hamas immediately suspended all elections so they can never be thrown out. But it doesn't matter. 
this is still their government. It's still their people that chose this. This is still their responsibility. And as soon as you start to say it's Hamas doing it rather than the Palestinians doing it, it's all political. It's not reality. Reality is in God's mind, I think, that that he's looking at this group of people and he's saying, these are your leaders, which means you get to suffer the consequences with your leaders. And I think I think I've seen more recent polls in the Gaza Strip, where they have substantial Hamas has substantial support. So it's not that they voted for these people. That oh, we had no idea they were terrorists. You know, what do we do now? There's nothing we can do. I mean, it's something where they, you know, they have you know a lot of, of the majority or whatever it might be supporting them. Right, and they they knew they were terrorists when they voted them in in 2006. And yes, for political reasons that you know it was Hamas didn't want to lose to other terrorists. It wasn't like that the people in Gaza Strip were going to choose you know, a, a peace-loving party. That isn't what they want. What they want is they want terrorists. And so if you elect a government that's terrorists, you reap what you sow. Like you said, it's, it's, we deal with the Israel situation in a more extreme way. But we actually have this history of doing this, of treating, of acting like adults, people who've made that, – that the role of adults in society are to make decisions – that affect their children and affect their project. And that is their job. It's their duty. And when they've done it, it's a real decision. And it's a real thing. And that, you know, I mean, like there's times where we'll see nations that, you know, even with, like with Saddam Hussein, where they have a dictator, we will go, the people there, they, everyone was totally united against him. But no, they weren't completely united against him. That's, that's actually not true. He couldn't have ruled the country if everyone was against him. He had to have a lot of people who were supporting him. He had to have, I mean, and, and so we just, we divorce ourselves from reality in a lot of situations, and we take it further with Israel than we do with most situations. But it's, it's a very common way of thinking today. I mean, we kind of, you kind of have the option of saying, well, it's only a few bad people at the top or, you know, a, the, the people in the military are bad and everyone else in the nation is good. Or you say they're all evil, completely evil people that all just want to murder babies, like every single person. And so you kind of have the one or two, one of those two options is what you end up picking. But of course, neither of those is really ever true. I mean, we do this with abortion. We do this with we do this with so many different topics where we just absolve. We decide to completely absolve one group of people, even though they are fully grown adults, even though they're making a decision, even though we understand the consequences of that decision. But we want to pretend like they should not be responsible. For- yeah, specifically in the abortion thing, that's very common. That a lot of states that now are passing laws against abortion, what they specifically exclude is punishing the mother. The mother chose to murder her baby. Why do you exclude the mother from punishment? She's the one who, yes, there were accomplices. (laughs) Yeah, but she hired the hitman. Why are you saying it's the hitman's fault and not the one who hired him? And so we do that all the time where we try to to disassociate the guilt from the the guilty party. And that's just not the way it works. And so they vote for Hamas. They appoint Hamas. they, They support them. They allow them to hide their soldiers in their apartment buildings. And then they turn around and they go, oh, it's terrible that you're killing our children. And from a Western perspective, we go, that's terrible. But if you're actually a jihadist, if you actually think that the way that your children go to to heaven is that they participate in jihad, well, their children are participating in jihad. They also strap explosives on their children and send them to blow things up. And so we have this very naive view where we're trying to take Western sensibility, Christian-based sensibilities, and apply it to a society that has no view like that. 
And then Proverbs talks about this, Proverbs 29, verse 2. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. And there you have a, you know, that, that plays out when a wicked, when wicked authorities get in, their nation involved in a wicked war, then there's groaning of the people that are under them. And we shouldn't just go because of this, I mean, we shouldn't go just because of this war because the people in Gaza Strip have been groaning for a long time. I mean, they have wicked rulers, and they, you know, they have it very difficult there. But they, sh- but we're not supposed to turn around and go. Well, that's just the way it is. We're supposed to go. These are the choices that they made. We're a people that want to say that there are no consequences for choices, and there are consequences for choices. You choose a wicked man, and bad things happen. The people groan. And that's exactly what's happening in Gaza Strip right now. And I think when people read that verse, a lot of times they go, they groan against the rulers, like in the sense of overthrowing them. It doesn't, it, it, it's, it's a lot more specific just to the fact of they groan. Right. They're, they're miserable. But we understand that sin, that the misery of sin doesn't, the person who's in bondage to sin doesn't go, and now I will throw off the chains of my sin. No, they just dig themselves deeper in sin. And so they listen to worse lies. They listen to more foolish things. And you can see that playing out. And I think, again, so much of what goes on in the world, we refuse to believe. With, we refuse to follow biblical wisdom. We refuse to look at it and we reject it. And we go, they can't be that. They cannot be doing that. It is impossible for them to want these rulers. But then they do polls and show that they do. Right. And so, I mean, it is something where, I mean, it's, it's, there's a part of it where the church and the world in general needs to stop thinking that everyone, that, that everyone, fought, that everyone's a materialist. We think that the base state of all, of all unsaved people are materialists. But the truth is, is, about the history of the world, there have been very, very spiritual people who were not, you know, who were not Christians. And that, and we just, it's just really, I mean, in fact, materialism is a very unrefined form of atheism right. you know what i mean a, a very refined form of not following after the true god and we just assume that that the people whose children are dying that they that this is just terrible to them these are actually things that they chose they knew when hamas had done this before they were elected they knew what hamas did they knew that this was their their strategy and we look and we go how could anybody do that for their children well that Israelites used to sacrifice their children in the, the Valley of Hinnom. And we turn around and go, no, they don't do that. We sacrificed 65 million children since Roe versus Wade. And we go, oh, no, people love their children. No, they don't. Let's stop believing lies. People are more than happy to sacrifice their children for a cause that they believe in. That's always been true, whether the cause is their own comfort or whether the cause is the rise of Islam, whatever it is, people are willing to sacrifice their children and we just have a Christian viewpoint that we think that everybody has that viewpoint, even though there's pl- you know, one out of six children in America have been murdered. Why do we turn around and think that somehow that America has that viewpoint? We have the same viewpoint as the Gaza Strip has that would allow Hamas to put the use their children for shields. I mean, when we go to the abortion clinic, a lot of times I'll read Psalms. And you read the Psalms, it talks a lot about oppression. And one of the things you talk about is that often people who are there, they've been a, 
There was somebody who put pressure on somebody to do something, and someone else put pressure on somebody else. And now this woman has had pressure put on her, whether it's for her career, whether it's for her relationship, whether for whatever. And instead of standing up against that evil, instead she takes the little bit of authority she has, and she says, I'm going to kill the child. And there's this part of it where you look at it and you go, shouldn't she hate the people who are oppressing her? Shouldn't she hate? But instead she joins with them in their sin. And I think when we look at Hamas, this is the issue again is, they they are an oppressed people. When you look at the people in Gaza, they are oppressed in certain ways. But we act but we immediately go, well, they must hate those who are causing this oppression. You know what I mean? We go, they must and they and like I said, it's just it's an absolute denial of the way sin works. It's an absolute denial of how we even understand scripture explains it to us. Because I mean I mean, when it comes down to it, sin is the greatest oppression. I mean it's internal rather than external. And, you know, and sin is something that people are not throwing off willingly. It's something where they're, you know, and it, even if they're suffering under the oppression, they in a sense embrace the oppression. And so why would we think that you could never um, embrace an uh, oppression that's exterior to you as well? And they're always sold that they'll become the oppressor. So they don't want the oppression to go away because they always, not always, but frequently they think they get to become the oppressor. And so why wouldn't they? Even the children, the children that are sacrificed, there's some of them that are thinking, I can't wait to grow up to be a jihadist and go out there and kill people. And right, and, and they're also willing to take the risk because they, don't, they want these things, and we act like they don't. They do. And to accept it, what you have to do is you have to say they have no choice. You have to actually, I mean, like when the woman goes into the abortion clinic, you have to tell the story that there's a scenario that there is no other choice. There is no other way. And what it denies is the mercy of God. It, and it denies the mercy of God and that God will hold you guilty who chooses evil. And so, I mean, and you can see this in Numbers 14, 18. The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. And so there's this part of it where we absolutely deny God's mercy whenever you look at a person, whether they're in the Gaza Strip, whether it's abortionist, whether it's somebody who turns to prostitution, whether it's someone who turns to drugs, whether it's someone who leaves their family. I mean, any of these things where a person goes and sins because of there's this pressure on them because there's this evil, we have to deny the mercy of God. And then we have to turn around and go, God will forgive you, and so therefore there will be no consequences to the actions that you've done. And forgive you without like actually dealing with it, right? right? I mean, right. It's like without he'll forgive the, you and he'll judgment. take care of every single circumstance that's happened because of it, and that's just not completely true. Every every single person at some point in their life, at some point in the end of all history, is going to stand before God, and God is going to treat every single one of them like a moral agent who is responsible for their actions for every idle word that they said. And we don't like to treat everybody as moral agents. We, we, we have scenarios where we see somebody as a bad actor and we have, to, we have to craft the scenarios such that anybody who's under the oppression of that bad actor is, is absolved. absolved, constrained, has no way that they could react against it. And they're, they're not moral agents. And this plays out all over the place. It's important to recognize in this verse, too, that he visits the iniquity of the fathers on the children. So when we look and we go, but those children are dying for what their fathers did. Their fathers voted for Hamas, and now the children are dying. And the answer is, that's what God does. That's, 
He doesn't do that in an eternal way, like you're talking about with moral agency. Everybody stands and falls because of their own sin. But it doesn't mean that when you vote for Hamas that it won't affect the lives of your children. It does. It really does. And so they turn around and they die. Well, that's all in the sovereign will of God. But he says he does that. He says it will have consequences on your children. And so by saying that that we think that there shouldn't be consequences, that those children shouldn't die, that Israel should just go, oh, yeah, we can't attack Hamas soldiers. We should just sit there and let them attack us back. Well, what we're really doing is rejecting what God says that he does. He says that iniquity has effect on multiple generations. And the reason that we don't want it to is because we think we can go get drunk. We can go use drugs. We can go do whatever we want. We can commit adultery. We can do all these things, and it won't affect our children. And that's just a lie. That is not how God ordered the world. The reality is your children will be affected by your sin in a negative way. That's just the way that it works, and that's the way God ordered the world. And so we need to stop pretending like those children dying because of their sins of their fathers, that God wouldn't do that. Yes, he would. He promises it. It doesn't mean they go to hell because of the sins of their fathers. That he does not promise. Each one is a moral agent. And it also doesn't mean that you can do whatever you want in warfare and say, well, it's just the children suffering for the sins of the father. Because every decision that, you know, the pilot or the, you know, the drone makes, every decision that the guy with the rocket launcher and I mean, all of those are moral decisions as well. And uh, while it is true that there that children will suffer because of what their parents do, it doesn't mean that you can intentionally make that happen. Um, And I think we'll get into I think in a minute, we'll get into some more of the complexity of that. I mean, I do think that it's important to, to recognize that we look at at Israel and go, oh, they, I mean, the mainstream media at least looks at Israel and go, they should never do that. But recognize that we do the same thing. When they were leaving Afghanistan, there was a van that had children in it that Joe Biden chose to murder and a whole chain of command chose for them to be murdered to cover up for him so that he could get better press. It was cold-blooded murder. That what Israel's doing is not nearly on the scale of what President Biden did. And we should recognize that. And we want to sit back and go, oh, we're these goody two-shoes that we can sit as moral judges of Israel. Well, the church should be able to if we're walking in righteousness, but America can't. America's is filthy, filthier in way, many ways than Israel ever was. Right. Yeah, there, I mean, there's many examples where um, we're – you know, drone striking people in the Middle East because you're not an American guy... citizen. America now thinks they can murder you well, whenever no, they no, want. No, no, no. You can't be an American citizen. <laughs> I mean, there's no the, the restriction is not are you an American citizen? Because there's people where I don't I don't remember if they were an American citizen, but their kids were, and they were out like going to a wedding or something, and they drone strike the wedding because this guy supposedly is a important terrorist. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. But we're not at war with the terrorists. We're not at war with that country. And here we are bombing this wedding, these people who aren't actively shooting rockets at us. And, you know, Israel, they declared war. They're actively getting, you know, people The government is them. using it's all a lot the official different. ways to go to war, which we never do as a nation. We just go out and send our troops in without, without any constitutional without right. declaring war. Right, which is what's required by the Constitution. We just basically break all our laws our supreme law of the land to do it, to commit murder. And then we look at Israel and go, how dare they bomb it? I mean, we should be a lot more realistic about who we are as a nation. I mean, part of what you're saying is when you look at that verse, when it says that God will, he, he does, he by no means clears the guilty. 
whenever we choose to absolve someone who does have guilt, we also understand that justice must be done, and we end up assigning that guilt to someone else. You know what I mean? And like you're talking about, with, I mean, this is what right. they're effectively doing with Israel, is we go, they, even though they chose Hamas, even though they chose to live there, even though they desired this, even though they've, you know, that Hamas has said that their stated goal is the destruction of Israel, even though all these things are true, we can loose our vitriol and our anger on Israel. And, and what ends up happening is we're saying you must let your children be killed for the sake of their decision. We, we're not going to hold them responsible. And so, I mean, and we do this in every situation that we choose to absolve a group. Someone else must bear the cost. This person didn't work, so we're going we're gonna to pay the money anyway. We're going to steal it from you, from another guy who did work, and you're stealing it from him and from his children. And you're, You know what I mean? And, and this and, continually happens. And we should recognize that the reason that there's the Palestinians in Gaza Strip and in the West Bank is because of the U.S. insisting that they stay there and have no life. We are incredibly cruel through the U.N. It's mostly our money, but it's through the U.N. that we keep everybody in concentration camps and act like we're righteous. Just let them go join the Arab world. That would be a far better solution. Instead, for three generations, we've kept them there. It's very, very evil what we as a nation have done. And so we look and then we turn around and sit as moral judges. I mean, it's just, it's really the... The hubris is really shocking. Right. We tell Israel how they have to treat our prisoners who, who we're not governing enough to who keep we them give from a, attacking. Who, yeah, who we allow to get weapons so that they go and attack. I mean, it's just, it's just insane. And yet we think we can stand on the, our high horse and go, look at how righteous we are when we're causing the matter. And remember, if God's willing to judge their children and they're dying, he's the one who kills and makes alive. They're dying. We know that. So this is part of God's judgment. Then recognize that we have culpability here, too. We shouldn't think that God is not going to judge us because we have real culpability in what's going on over there. And none of this is to say that Israel's like the chosen people of God. That's just simply not true. But there is, there is justice that God's word says that the church is supposed to do justly. Could you imagine if we were being attacked, if the United States was being attacked by an enemy that hit among, hit among women and children? Let's say, say they hit a tower in, in New York City. Let's just use that as an example. Right. Would we ever kill children for that? Of course we 20 would. 20 years later? <laughs> 20 years Of course we do. But then we turn around and say they shouldn't do that, even though as a percentage of population, their death rate was like six times higher than the, than the towers. Right. And so, I mean, it's it's – we understand we understand the details of it. We understand it's it's not it's not incredibly difficult to walk through the calculus of what's involved. It's not incredibly difficult. It's just we we just don't want to. Well, I mean, I think, but I think there are further complications that makes you know makes it harder um, because you, like you say, okay, well, Israel's attacked, so they have a right to repel this attack. But do, does that mean that they can go out and just bomb buildings? Um, do they and also are they this thing has continued for years and i mean we were talking about how there's u.s pressure for them to continue to keep these people in this concentration camp little gaza strip um but you know putting aside the international diplomacy i mean israel i don't think there's much question that if they wanted to they could just conquer gaza strip you know next week you know i mean it I, might take a couple weeks right <laughs> but and, I, you know, and i my guess is that's exactly what we'll see 
Right. And uh, they've cut off food, water, electricity. I mean, right. people don't course, last very long without water. Sure. But then there's also, do they just give the hostages back? You know, because so, it's all, I mean, it's right. all negotiation. And they, you know, I'm, you know, they're, they, they're deciding, you know, are we going to go in and invade? Um, and, you know, assuming that they don't, because it's been many years and they have probably had just provocation uh, in other times to go and invade and just conquer them. But they've chosen not to. And so you have a point where you have people, you know, in that, and then you have, you have an issue. Let me back. I mean, you start to kind of have an issue is you know where you are willing to um, to deal with an issue only to a certain point. Like like, and this is not a perfect example, but ima- imagine if we just took all the problematic people and just sent them to New York City. We're sending them food. We're sending them water. We're sending them electricity. And these people get rowdy and start bomb and start shooting rockets at us. So we just bomb a couple buildings and we just don't solve the problem that we had a hand in creating or at least had a hand in letting continue and not saying, let's go in and let's deal with it. Not that that would be pretty, not that that wouldn't mean a lot of people would die, but there's a end to it and there's a resolution to it. And I'll tell you, and this might, this is probably contrary to how most people think. But the reality is, is the problem is Israel fears man and not God. Because we go, oh, if they fear God, they wouldn't kill children. No, 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 no. That's not what the Bible says. If they, But the reason they'll stop and continue to have the attacks and have the war for another 60, 70, 100 years, who knows how long, is because of fear of man. They'll go, well, if the U.S. doesn't support us anymore, we won't be able to do this. Because, you know, in... They will turn around and they will, if they don't just say enough is enough, we're going to ride it out, which I think is the likely scenario. But what they've done most times in the past is they fear man enough that they go, we're not going to do what we should do. We fear man. And so they receive the continued rewards and the babies that got murdered, the the grandmothers that got kidnapped, all these people, these terrible things that happened. A lot of this is... Israel's terrible policy, too, because their policies haven't been good. You're saying that the fact that they didn't go in and actually, like Joshua was saying, they didn't go in and... and How many times, how many decades do you have to allow people to murder your citizens before you go, we've had enough? And they wouldn't go, we have enough. So their citizens keep getting murdered. Right, because if you look at it... And it it is important to recognize that two parties can both be guilty. Sure. That is not at all absolving... The, the Gaza terrorists, not at all. But at the same time, that doesn't mean Israel's innocent. And, and, and the guilt isn't offsetting in either way. No. I mean, it's not like, well, because you have some guilt, therefore it's it's completely independent guilt. Right. And, uh, right, right. Because, I mean, these are, this is, there's a long history, you know, I mean, going back to biblical times, but even even in more recent years, I mean, there's a long history, uh, you know, of agreements broken and and attacks and counterattacks. And, you know, but there's a point where you're at today. What are you going to do today? And and you look at I mean, in, in modern times, the idea of a nation conquering part of another nation or conquering another nation. I mean, that's a huge violation of international law. And there's some biblical precedent for it, which is that God gave nations certain areas. He set their borders, set their boundaries, and you shouldn't just go taking people's land. But then there's also the point where if you are being attacked, you have a right to defend yourself. 
And uh, and sometimes that should include conquering the other nation. And that's not something that's always wrong. And all of us live in nations that at one time were conquered and conquered other nations. And often that was wrong. Sometimes that was right. And when they refuse to do it, it also... The, the the citizens of the Gaza Strip, they have a real responsibility. And if they think Israel will never go the whole way, they never – that doesn't put the pressure that should be put on them to fulfill their responsibility. Ezekiel 22, 29 through 31, the people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery, and mistreated the poor and the needy, and they wrongfully oppressed the stranger. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy, but I found no one. Therefore, I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. and I have recompensed their deeds on their own head, says the Lord God. God says, I expect you to stop it when, when there's oppression, when there's robbery, when all the things that have been happening in Gaza Strip for 70 years or longer People are supposed to rise up and stop it. And if they thought Israel would come and do something, they'd be a lot more likely to. But it's still their responsibility. And too often people go, well, it's not my responsibility. The people elected Hamas. So they go and murder. They commit robbery. They do all these terrible things. But it's not my responsibility. And God says, why won't a man stand up? We all have the responsibility to stop it. So does that mean the U.S. has responsibility to stop it? Well, this is saying within the land that they have responsibility. So I don't think you can use that <laughs> verse to apply that. Because a lot of people believe that. So. I mean, in the situation where we, through the UN, have imprisoned them, we should use our influence through the UN to stop the detainment and stop the holding of the Palestinians. And let's there. just be clear. Influence in the UN means we withdraw money and they shut down. Right. So it's right. not like our influence is somehow we, questionable. We it's not. We have absolute other in, people. Right. We have absolute influence. They're doing it through U.S. money. Right. And what we're going is, oh, we wouldn't do that. We'd be ashamed in the eyes of the world. Well, who cares if it's the righteous thing to do? That's what you should do. I mean, let's be honest. The reason why we'd be ashamed in the eyes of the world is because because of a whole – I mean, it's, That's it's, horrible. It, it would be a righteous thing to do to stop this. I mean, it would be absolutely the right thing. There's There are things where it's, like, complicated and shady. This one, this one isn't. But, again, when the wicked rule, the people groan, we have chosen rulers that, that some give lip service to stopping this. But none have. And so recognize the consequences. Recognize that that 9-11 and those towers being having planes run into those towers, this is judgment on us, and we deserve the judgment. Because we also have the responsibility to step up and say, we're tired of funding the the terrorism that's going on in the Middle East. It's kept a war going for for decades upon decades. This is our responsibility too. More than one party can be guilty. And, and when I mean, when you go back to that verse where it says, "I looked, I looked for a man among them." This we should tie that to, to Romans thirteen. God appoints authorities, and God is even saying. I mean, there's a part where God's not God's not just going. Will anybody do this in like some completely independent way from Him? God's actually saying, if someone over there was willing to do that, I would raise them up. You right. know what I mean? I mean, and so there's this part of it where God I looked and I couldn't find anybody. Right. You know what I mean? It's like he's I mean, there's no one there who's willing to do what's right. So I'm gonna set people over you who don't do what's right. And so I mean, and and this is this is really like you said, this is an indictment of us. And 
Now, when we look at Isaiah 1, God speaking through Isaiah is basically saying, I'm going to destroy your country. And then he de- destroys Israel. Well, it's Isaiah's life, the northern kingdom. And then later he destroys Judah. And he says, why? Isaiah 1, 16 and 17, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. God holds them guilty because they're not doing this. And we shouldn't look back and go, well, you know, that was the Old Testament. Yeah, that was the mean God. No, this is what God expects of the righteous. And if there's no righteous, why shouldn't we expect God's judgment to be on that nation? But God's judgment's on our nation, and where are we rebuking the oppressor? Where are we defending the fatherless? Where are we pleading for the widow? And so we should just recognize that God doesn't go, well, the leaders are doing it, so you're absolved. The Supreme Court decided that you're allowed to murder babies, so you have no guilt for murdering babies. It's really obvious that anybody that paid attention, if you actually had the 10% who attend church on a weekly basis, it's even a higher percentage when it was done, if they all said, this is murder, we will not stand for it, abortion you know, Roe versus Wade would have never happened. No, we're the ones that are failing to do this. And we should recognize that just like the people on Gaza Strip are guilty, we shouldn't look at it and just say, look at how terrible they are. We should go. Obviously, we're not rebuking the oppressor. The murder of babies continues. And when we get the judgments from God, when we have these things in our lives that God causes on our nation, and I mean, on all the different levels, we should understand that that is it's judgment we deserve. I mean, and 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 we should expect greater judgment. And if we're not actively out there, if we're not actively doing these things, if we're not actively rebuking the oppressor, defending the fatherless, pleading for the widow, if we're not actively fighting against those things, when it happens, we should go. This is what this is what we should expect. This is what this is what we deserve. We should, you know, it's like people, we don't fight against evil. Evil comes in and we go, oh, it's so sad that this day has come. It's so horrible that this day has come. And as opposed to going, no, I understand. I, I chose this moment when I stood and watched it happen. And even the fact that we've allowed the war to drag on, I mean, the slow level war most of the time to drag on where they're murdering, they're sending in rockets and there's counter rockets and on and on and on for decades and we just think that this is normal but god's way to end that we look at that and say that is just terrible who would do that that's just that's just evil right deuteronomy 20 10 through 15 when you go near a city to fight against it then proclaim an offer of peace to it and it shall be that if they accept your offer of peace and open to you then all the people who are found in it shall be placed under tribute to you and serve you Now, if the city will not make peace with you, but war against you, then you shall besiege it. And when the Lord your God delivers it into your hands, you shall strike every male in it with the edge of the sword. But the women, the little ones, the livestock, and all that is in the city, all its spoil, you shall plunder for yourself, and you shall eat the enemy's plunder which the Lord your God gives you. Thus you shall do to all the cities which are very far from you, which are not of the cities of these nations." I mean, God says, you end wars. We go, let's just keep them bubbling along. Let's just keep them there. And 
Israel's going, we're going to end this war. And the rest of the world is already saying, no, you won't. We will not allow that. We will stop it. But God says, fine, go besiege it, which is what they're doing right now as we as we record this, as they cut off water, they cut off food, they they are, you know, they cut off power. They're they're making the people suffer. They're literally a bes- they're besieging the city. But they're not going, well, just wipe out all of Hamas. You kill every male and Hamas disappears off the face of the earth. And that's what God commands to do. Right. But, I mean, they, they already wasn't Israel paying tribute to the Palestinians. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're the ones sending the the the, the, the power. I mean, and here they're supposed to be putting Well, they get money tribute. from the U.N. <laughs> but, yes, but you're right. They have – we have the tribute system flipped on Ed. What we do is we have to recognize. You know, there's also in Isaiah there's a place where God says, you know, you you – you want the war. You want Remaliah. You want you want the my ways are peace, but you want war. Well, we should recognize that the reason that there's been wars there for so many decades is pretty much the whole world wants war. We want that war to continue. We want it to just be there. We want to hear about the rockets. We want to see the blood. We want to, and we might go, no, we don't. But if we didn't want that, we know how to stop it. It's not like it's a secret. God told us. But yet, we're not willing to do that. We go, no, it's better to have the war. We like the excitement. We don't want the peace. We don't want the waters of Shiloh, which is what it says in that, in, in that passage. But again, we know how it, could, how it should be stopped or could be stopped. The right option isn't for Americans to go over there. And, no. Because we weren't attacked. We're not, we're not being attacked, so... Yeah, and that's an important distinction because there are people who are like we, you know, we're, we're the same as attacking America. You know, they're our ally. Which, which this is something that people are always saying: Ukraine is our ally, and Israel is our ally. Neither one of them are our allies. We have no military alliance with Israel or with Ukraine or with most nations in the world. They're not our ally. There, we're friends with them. We, you know, we have certain, you know, economic treaties with them, but they are not our military allies. Right to use. George Washington's term, we have no entangling alliances with them, right? And which actually are supposed to force you to because you took an oath, but nations ignore those all the time. But we've entangled ourselves pretty thoroughly without alliances. Right. We've entangled ourselves with emotional alliances and this, this sense of obligation without any sense of morality. And we want to pretend like we have a sense of morality, but we don't have any sense of morality. If you're in the Raleigh-Durham area on October 31st, please come join us for Reformation Day. Every year, our church celebrates that event, and this year our theme is the Missionaries of the Reformation. If you're interested, please go to CelebrateReformationDay.com. There will be information there. You can RSVP and get details, and please contact us if you're coming. We'd love to have you there. And when you, when you look at, you know, the tactics that's being used, you know, because we started talking about how, you know, children are being, you know, killed in Palestine because, or in the Gaza Strip. You know, because of these bombs that are coming in. Um, and then you have opposed to that, you know, this passage in Deuteronomy where you're besieging the city and in the end you're putting every male to the sword um, versus, you know, for the last, for decades, it's been this limited war, shoot a relatively small number of rockets, blow up some buildings back and forth. And and one difference there is, I mean, the, that limited war has been chosen over and over again. And I think that, you know, there's a point where, 
And I mean, all the everything you see is propaganda, but it seems pretty legitimate that, you know, Israel is goes above and beyond, you know, calling people to try to get them out of the building, saying, we know Hamas is in this building. We're going to blow it up tomorrow. Get out. Um, but despite that, they are still choosing to do that. And if you're if you're sending your soldiers in, you don't have as much chance of killing a bunch of noncombatants because, you know, you're you know, you're, you're it's a person to person thing, not a rocket from your country. And so th- that choice of the limited war, also there's times where it might be causing, you know, more, a higher ratio of civilians being killed because they're choosing that limited war. But you look in the, the Old Testament and there's lots of times where like, you know, Jehu goes up, it's a Jehu that goes up to, to a city and says, you know, send all, all of Ahab's family out, you know, send their, give me a pile of heads here or I'm going to attack. And, and, there's plenty of times where the people rise up against their leaders and stop it. And so Israel could do something like that. They could go. You won't have water until every Hamas soldier that you know of has been turned over to us, and we will execute them. But they're not willing to do that. Right. And that's what you meant earlier when you were saying they didn't put a sufficient pressure on Palestine. like Pal- Because even if they said it, there's a part of it where people wouldn't believe yet that they would right, actually go right. through with it. People wouldn't believe that they would actually do this, and so there's this part of it where, I mean, for you, ha- that's the pressure that's required because we like to pretend that by being our own sense of mercy, we it'll cost less over time, and the truth is, is over time it costs far more. It costs. I mean, like you, you look at some of the like the Hundred Years' War. You look at, I mean, you look at wars where. People play at war. You mean the one between the Palestinians and Israel? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no, no. It's just the 85-year war. <laughs> right, right. I mean, we make fun of that, right? right? But but we then recreate them. Right. And so when you play at war like that, I mean, in the end, you end up actually costing both financially, both in terms of life. I mean, every single way that you can end up thinking of cost, you end up costing far, far more than if you had actually said, if we go to war, here's going to be the cost of it. If you actually deal with it, here's what we're going to do. Because we're not I'm not gonna pay with my children's 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 lives. We're gonna pay with it today and it's gonna be done. And we kind of think of that idea of paying with lives and go, that would just be horrible. Right? But but God actually even commands them when they go into the promised land. God used the type when they conquer the promised land that they're supposed to put even babies to death when they go in. If it's of this tribe, you put it to death. And he used it in another place in when Samuel's talking to when Samuel's talking to Saul, he uses it and he says, you know, the Amalekites, you kill every single one of them. In Second Samuel fifteen, two and three, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. Amalek is a, is a type of sin. And the picture is that you're supposed to destroy everything of that sin. So, But God actually tells them to go kill nursing infants. And we go, how could you do that? And the answer is, well, God commands it just to be a picture of something. And so we tend to take war and not say, we should be really serious about it. There has to be all these limits to it. When God uses it with different pictures and takes the seriousness of war is a seriousness of what we're supposed to be doing with sin. It's a seriousness of, of how we're supposed to be conquering the kingdom. He has all these pictures. 
And he's willing to kill children to have those pictures and to command the, the slaughter of children. Wouldn't you say that we have those those limitations that the Christian theologians come up with things like just war doctrine because we don't have this sort of express command from God to go in and, you know, kill everybody, man, woman, child, gerbil, kill them all. It's that, that because— well, we do have kill every male if you besiege a city. But but given that we don't have the specific commands to, you know, say, go wipe out this specific people right. like that, 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 you know, when God sends Israel into the promised land, there's very specific pictures that he's going for, for what it looks like to conquer the world, what the, right. what the work of Jesus Christ is supposed to be like, that because that's not what we're doing right now when we engage in warfare, that's why we come up with reasons to be constrained in certain ways and and you know you look here you look at what they were supposed to do to go against the seven tribes where they were supposed to kill nursing infants but then you also look at the general laws that were given to israel which are if you besiege a city kill every male that is the constraint right you don't kill the women you plunder them you take them as slaves but you don't kill them that is the constrained warfare but i think we've come up with just warfare where we've added all these constraints that are not biblical constraints, well, I mean, that's not according more the, to the law of God. I mean, that's more the international laws of war rather than just war theory. Well, just war theory has the idea of proportionality, which is where that comes from. Depends on which theologian you're reading sure. and how far along. Right, but, but I think what you're saying is an introduction of humanism into some of that is why you get that shift. But yeah, we're not supposed to ever. we're not supposed to ever be – putting nursing infants to death. I mean, that's that should never intentionally be done because we don't have any of those direct commandments. But constrained warfare is still far further than what we think constrained warfare should be. So the point of the verse isn't to say killing babies is fine. The point is to say that, you know, you do your duty, you try not to do that, but if it does happen, God providentially... Um, orders things such that happens at times. And that's a picture that we're supposed to learn from, not that we're supposed to try and do that. Well, and I think the other thing that it really shows is that when we think about the scale and the cost, we look at certain things and we go, it would be unthinkable if a child died in this situation. It would be unthinkable if war cost us. And God is going, war is far more costly than you can understand. That sin is far more costly than you can understand, and it and there's a sense where we divorce war from sin, and we we act like they're not related. I mean, you can have two evil nations fighting against each other, but there are situations where one nation has behaved righteously and the other nation has behaved evilly, and we pretend like sin isn't at the root of it, and we pretend God's saying, "Do you understand when you allow certain things to continue, you're acting like the worst possible thing if a child could if a child dies?" He's like, "Do you understand?" Millions of children. I mean, look at I mean, we we keep using the statistics about abortion to kind of, and it's become almost pointless to us to hear it. But we've killed sixty-five million babies in the United States because of our attitude towards sin. And then we look and we go, it would be horrible if a child died. We're in no perspective to even. I mean, we have no basis for thinking that because we're actively killing them in one scenario, and we're going, if one died, it would be horrible. If a woman wanted to kill a child because she wanted a better job, we would go, she has that right to do that. But you can't kill, if a baby dies because someone murdered your wife, that's not acceptable. I mean, we have no moral basis to even 
think about the equation and we act like we do. And, and to kind of go off, branch off of that, you know, Israel is justified in defending themselves from Hamas, but they should also say, why do we have the abortion laws that we have? And why is this happening to us? Right. Because, I mean, they ha- they're not a righteous nation by any stretch of the imagination. Yes. Right. It's interesting that God in his law, the way he says, after you destroy every male, he also gives laws about trees. In verses I'm sorry, 19. Second. I'm sorry. That just struck me as funny the way you said it. He also gives laws about trees. And, and it's really important to recognize why he gives laws about trees. Because it, trees related to warfare, obviously. Deuteronomy 20, 19 and 20 says, When you besiege a city for a long time while making war against it to take it, you shall not destroy its trees by wielding an axe against them. If you can eat of them, do not cut them down to use in the siege, for the tree of the field is man's food. Only the trees which you know are not trees for food you may destroy and cut down to build siege works against the city that make war with you until it is subdued. Think about this. And God's saying you can't cut down fruit trees because to replant those fruit trees would take seven years before they're really producing substantial fruit. And what God's saying is, you should be done with war and have it back to being a fruitful, productive place in seven years. And we're in 70 years with Israel, right? We go, it should never become productive again. God's ways are you go in there, you deal with the war, you kill the people, and then you let it come back and be productive because the point is we're supposed to be taking dominion and we're supposed to be productive, and war is anti-productive. But what they want to do, what we as a people want to do, because this is the UN, this is worldwide, we just want to keep like low-level war going, and we don't ever want it to get too bad, which is anti-dominion. And it's it's really a lack of faith. I mean, it's you know, I mean, in the I mean, in the end, all of these things are because of a lack of faith that we don't see that God says this would be better, that we don't understand that God's ways are better than our ways. But also, I mean, just that we're not willing. This is what faithful men do is they do what God has called them to do. And they don't go, I don't completely understand how it will work out at certain circumstances. They don't go. You mean they're supposed to walk by faith and not by sight? <laughs> right. And so, I mean, and, and even though, like I said, with many of these things, you can see how it will work out. You actually do see how the other ways don't work at all. And so, I mean, it doesn't even require that much faith at certain points because you've seen the futility of all the other things that man has tried. But, I mean, it is a lack of faith. So when we think about what's going on, we've been we've been speaking a lot from sort of a God's eye perspective about things, just thinking about and understanding what's happening in war and, and recognizing that it is the hand of God that's at work. You can read all throughout the Old Testament – you can read through the New Testament. You can find that God is the one who's behind wars. He he brings nations to war against nations. He brings wicked nations to fight against wicked nations. He brings good nations to fight against wicked nations. He will bring a wicked nation to fight against a good nation, a better nation than them, because they are off in something that God considers really important, and he wants to judge them for it. And so oftentimes he will raise up a wicked nation to do that. But, but all of what we're talking about there is, God does judge nations. He, there, there is a sense in which he will judge every individual. But in time and space, he also judges nations. He says this is a, a nation that needs to come under judgment, and one of the methods and means that he uses is warfare. And I think it's important to recognize that 
the nation doesn't even have to, in this case, the nation is participating in the sin. You're talking right? about? Gaza. They're hiding. You know, they're, hi- they're allowing the soldiers to be there. They're participating. They, they elected them. But you look at the example of like David in, in 2 Samuel 24, 10 through 13. And David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Now when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad. David seer saying, Go and tell David, Thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself, that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and told him, and he said, Shall seven years of famine come to you and your land? Or shall you flee three months before your enemies while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days plague in your land? Now consider and see what answer I should take back to him who sent me. God judges Israel. They didn't number the people. You know, there's a sense that they submitted when when Joab came around and tried to force them to. I mean, and he didn't want to. The only person who wanted to do it was David, but yet he's still saying, I'll cause seven years of famine on your land, or I'll cause three months of war, or I'll cause three days of plagues. The people of Israel received the judgment for David's sin. We should never think that somehow when our leaders sin— that it doesn't mean that it's not righteous for God to judge us as a nation. The leaders of the nation are representatives of the nation, and God judges nations based on what their representatives do. And the representatives we choose or the representatives that are chosen for us, it doesn't matter. We still get judged as a nation. And that should make us, that should really make us think differently about elections and things like that. Because, yeah, God judges the people in Gaza Strip because of the leaders that they have. And this is, you think, when people think about David's sins, this is not the one you go to. <laughs> you go to Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah the Hittite. But this, for this particular sin, 70,000 people died. The angel of the Lord came in. David said, hey, I'd rather fall into the hand of God than the hand of man. And God's fine, okay. So he sends the angel of the Lord. And then 70,000 men die because of this. God judges nations for the actions of their leaders. I mean, it's a picture you see. I mean, when when God, when you think of a nation, it's a it's a it's a big body. And so, I mean, when the head makes a decision, does the body not suffer for it? You know what I mean? And we just, you know, Israel. What it says when they went through the went through the Red Sea, the nation was baptized. I mean, we God God gives us this picture over and over and over that you think of a nation as a large body. And then, we again, we want to divorce things and go, that was his decision. We shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't have any anything to do with it. I mean, Alexander Solzhenitsyn wrote and said, I'm part of the nation that put me in prison. Right. I, he's like, I bear this. I can't divorce myself from the sins of my people. And, and you know, I mean, and, and that's what we want to do is we want to divorce ourselves. And even as the church is separate— God's like you're still you're still in the nation you're still part of the nation you can't cut that tie and say I have nothing to do with these people. You, it doesn't matter if you have a not my president bumper sticker, right? And it's I mean it's it's Daniel right when he prays and goes you know I read in Jeremiah and in seventy years they're supposed to return and he cries out to God and his first thing is we have sinned against you right and he says we are under judgment he knows that even though it wasn't his sin daniel was a righteous man the bible's very clear he was a righteous man and yet he still receives the judgment for the sin 
and because the nation of of Judah was being judged, and we should just recognize that, and so we can't divorce ourselves from the people around us. But at the same time, it also means that we have a real responsibility, and and the church can take, and it's really important to take Romans thirteen right, but the church can also take it wrong. Right, Romans thirteen one through five says, "Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities." For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience's sake. You know, the Reformers all read this, and they basically said resistance to tyranny is obedience to God. Now people read it, and their view much more is, well, even if they're going and murdering people, we have to rally behind the flag. And they're avenger of wrath. When they're going out and doing cold-blooded murder, there is a place where you go, we can't follow you here. And I don't think the church... The church, obviously, with COVID, the church, you know, the state says, you cannot meet, you cannot worship God. And the church basically went, well, yeah, we can. And there you even have the authority of the church. But there's a point where it's so far from being the avenger of God's wrath that you can't say that we're supposed to submit to this authority as this authority is committing murder. There is a place where you go, get those, get those soldiers out of our, out of our apartment building and I don't think people think that they actually have a responsibility, and they do have a responsibility. There are certain points where you have to be willing to die for those things. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And I think that's part of it is, is when you say there's nothing worth dying for, I mean, you, you've lost. You know what I mean? If it's – I mean, if you're not – you know, and I, I just think that's – we haven't really taken it that far. I mean, we're so far from being willing to die for things. Right. We're not willing to be mildly inconvenienced for things. And so that doesn't bode well for us. So one example of this that you see in the Old Testament is the example of Rahab from Second Kings 10, verses 15 to 17. Now, when he departed from there, he met Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him. And he greeted him and said to him, Is your heart right, as my heart is toward your heart? And Jehonadab answered, It is. Jehu said, If it is, give me your hand. So he gave him his hand, and he took him up to him into the chariot. Then he said, Come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. So they had him ride in his chariot, and when he came to Samaria, he killed all who remained to Ahab in Samaria till he had destroyed them according to the word of the Lord which he spoke to Elijah. So some context for what's going on here. Jehu is, is a military leader who has been prophesied over to that what he's supposed to do is go and completely wipe out the house of Ahab. Kill the king. Right? Yeah, basically <laughs> kill, kill the king and any potential heirs of, of the king. Um, and, and he comes to Jehonadab and says, hey, are you going to join me? And we know from other passages that the Rechabites were considered to be righteous. They right, were, because of Jehonadab. I mean, that's kind of how right. they get their reputation because they're Rechabites because of him and because he's the one that commands them to not drink wine. And then God says, there will always be one that sits before me. Yeah. And and so here, you know, 
he's asked to participate in this regicide? Basically to give the the stamp of approval from the prophets, from the, the effectively from the church to say this is the righteous and just thing to do. And and you know, we find out later that Jehu's not righteous. Hmm. Even though God rewards him for what he did for this act of obedience, he sets up idols and he goes back to to you know, he's just another unrighteous man who's killing an unrighteous king. It's it's it, and it's really clear from the way that the narrative of kings is played out is the Lord said things are going to happen and then the Lord made them happen. And he did it through all sorts of intricate political intrigue. And there were righteous and unrighteous people involved at all sorts of levels in it. But to say that there's never a time to resist the appointed authority. I mean, Jehonadab said there is, right? That's why Jehu comes to him and says, get up in my chariot to basically go, yeah, this is the time. And so we need to recognize that we're not just supposed to keep going on along because God destroys nations. He destroyed Israel because they refused to rebuke the oppressor. Well, when the Hamas, the ruling party in Gaza, I mean, they're, they're oppressors, and the duty is to rebuke them. And you don't just go, oh, but they're, they're the ruling authority. We're not allowed to rebuke them. We just have to go murder people. No, you rebuke them. It's still what you'll be held accountable to. You just said it, it, that's what we'll be held accountable to. And I think before I mentioned that like this is tied back to faith, but it's, this means that as a Christian right now in the United States, when you see America making decisions, when you see us – promoting homosexuality, when you see us promoting transgenderism, when you see us, you know, allowing, you know, even the attitude within us about abortion that still exists within states, when you see all these things, the treatment of the poor, that you're, I mean, every single thing that we see going on and we say, well, there's not really much I can do. It's not really that important. We should understand that God judges nations, and there will be a point where God judges us. God judges God. We're already under judgment in a way where God's judgment will increase, where we may see the death of our children because of our actions. And when that day comes, we should understand it's our lack of faith. If we have not been out fighting, if we have not been not just going, well, I'll make one phone call and that's it. If we haven't actually been zealous, we should recognize when that day comes that we chose that moment. And, and we should recognize that what is happening to America already is what is happening to Gaza. They think it's normal that that you put soldiers in residential buildings. They think it's normal that, that soldiers should hide behind children. They're not going, this is weird. Right. This is immoral. They're going, of course, the Israelites are fools. They won't bomb this building. They'll be they'll pull their punches because some children might die. Where else would you build a military facility except at a daycare, right? If you're going to go, your enemy will pull their punches. And their hearts are so hard, and they're not thinking, but my children will die. They'll go, ha, 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 we'll get victory over our enemies. But we should recognize just how fast America's heart's getting hardened. Right, you said that you know the judgment's coming. I mean, the judgment's here, right, and it's rapidly increasing. And the judgment's described in Romans one twenty-seven through thirty-two. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman, burning their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. 
And even as they do not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to the base mind to do things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who know that knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. This is America. Only we, we have, just like they think it's normal to hide soldiers behind children, we think it's normal that children are disobedient to parents. We think it's normal that you can't trust politicians. We think it's normal, right? All these things we have accepted as normal, we're, we're really no different because we're, the judgment hand of God is upon us, and as a nation, we don't see it. And as the church isn't rising up and going, how can we keep electing these evil men? Instead, we go, well, Donald Trump, he's wise. He says that, yes, you should allow the murder of babies up to 15 weeks or whatever he's proposing. And you need to allow them in the case of rape and and incest because that would just be evil otherwise. And the church goes, oh, isn't he wise? Instead of, aren't we seared in our conscience that we think it's okay to murder them as long as you murder them soon enough. As long as, they're, as long as they're weaker, it's okay to murder them. As they get stronger, you're not allowed to murder them. This is just so perverse, so twisted, but yet in our judgment, we don't even see how perverse and twisted it is. And this is where we are as a nation, and I think we look at these blatantly immoral countries and we forget how immoral we are. We forget how blind we are to sin. We forget how we forget how much the the weighty hand of God's judgment is upon us. And it's upon us because the church sits back and doesn't do anything. And yeah, we go to the abortion clinic. I mean, I'm not saying that but in general, the church thinks it's just supposed to sit in buildings and they think not, the building's the church. What, I mean, it's what you're saying is, is Yeah, we think that the building is the church. And there's very little evidence of church, the church, the true church in America. Because why? Why does God do that? Because they don't want to retain God in their knowledge. Let me try and say what you're saying just with a different color to it. We don't believe that Jesus is a conqueror. We don't believe the things that are said about Jesus in Daniel. We don't believe the things that are said about Jesus in Psalm 2. We don't believe that Jesus actually has all authority like he said he has. We don't believe that he is wearing a robe in white that will be stained with the blood of nations. Right. You know, we don't, we don't believe he's ruling with a rod of iron that he'll crush nations with. We don't believe that he, Psalm that he has a mission and that the church's role in that mission is to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And that the reason we do that is because he is glorious. Right. You know, it, it's because we actually don't believe Jesus. Right. I mean, earlier today when you and I were talking about this episode, I was saying there's this part of it where if we had faith, we would see the death of our children. And I said we should use the passion for that moment to fight against it. And you said we should use the authority we had and their faithfulness to fight against the evil in front of us. Because there's this part of it where – this is what faithfulness is. Faithfulness is a person who looks at it and says, "This, I believe that moment is coming. I don't have to, 
I don't have to purely be driven by by like by passion and fury against that moment. I can be driven by just I believe that. I believe God has said I must do these things, and that's enough. And, and God's given us more than that. He's given us a testimony of his judgment. We see it, right? We see right. men leaving the natural use of a woman. We see these things before us, and we go, God's not powerful. Right, which is, I mean, it's, it's like as nutty as hyper-Calvinism, right? It's it, like, well, and it's as nutty as is the Gaza the citizens of Gaza letting Hamas soldiers hide and then complain that right. their children get killed. God's so sovereign, I don't it's have to obey him. I don't have, right, God, God's destroying right. nations, so I shouldn't fear him. Right. And that's exactly where we are. And, and the church has to wake up. And like you said, it maybe maybe what the church needs to do is become alive instead of dead because it actually has to start believing the gospel. It actually has to start believing that Jesus Christ came to earth to establish the kingdom that would fill the whole earth with the glory of God so that people could see it and understand it. Because now in America, we should expect greater and greater judgment because we don't want the glory of God. The nation of Israel, the modern nation of Israel, and the old one for that matter, they don't want the glory of God. They've hated the glory of God. They despise Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the manifestation of the glory of the Father. And they despise him. And yet the church in America goes, oh, Israel's so great. Why do you think Israel's great? They despise him. And we've become just like them. I mean, you, there's, there, there's not another nation in the world where every neighbor around them says, we want you to com- be completely wiped off the face of the planet. They are unique in that sense. There's right. nobody else. You've got lots of border conflicts. You've got lots of people who hate each other, but nobody who's like that, like just totally gone, disappear, no more of you. And yet that's the position they're in. And you have to say, if God's really in charge, if God's really in control, what's the story that he's telling through this? And and we want to read our Bible with a weird, twisted, apocalyptic view of what's happening there instead of what's really plainly on the page that they rejected God. They said, let his blood be on us. And God's saying, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks <laughs> I like. I will make you a watchword and a byword among all nations, right? I mean, I mean, I will scatter you among all the people of the earth. I mean, and you will go and you will worship gods that you did not know. And that's not anti-Semitic to say it. No. Because what we're saying is you are moral agents and you have as much opportunity as the Jews that Peter spoke to in his own day to, to repent and believe that, that that's what it would take, right? That's what it would take for there to be some peace. And Paul, like in, in Romans 11 is going, let me be really clear here. Yes. God rejected Israel, the nation, but if a natural branch could be broken off. So an unnatural branch can be grafted in how much easier it is to graft in a natural branch. So Paul is very explicitly there going, don't be anti-Semitic. They're as lost as you are. Only they actually have the oracles of God. So they might be more easily to witness to. And so it's not like this, they're Jews. So they're no Jews can become Christian, but as long as they remain Jews, they will receive judgment because God said, I have set these people so that you look at them and you say, this is what God does to a people who say that they're the people of God when they're not, when they hate him. They have a particular form of idolatry, and they're fighting against all of their neighbors who have 
different forms of idolatry. You just have different forms of demonic activity that are going on there. And we're busy with a different form of demonic activity that we're supporting it. And so we're receiving the judgment of it as, as America, as the nation. And when you look at the demonic level of it, ours is really, is almost worse. We, we, we don't, we don't have Israel bomb our children and kill them. We just mutilate them. We don't have, you know, we don't use them as shields so that we get some defensive thing out of it. Instead, we just kill them with an abortionist knife. When you talk about blindness to sin, America has been given more knowledge of the Word of God. We have more copies of the Bible than any nation on the earth. I mean, per person. We just outnumber them all. I mean, there might be some small nation, but any large nation, it's just not even close. We have more knowledge, and yet we're blinder. We have more people that attend church, but yet we have less knowledge of who God is. I mean, we should just recognize, we look at it and we go, how can Israel be like this? How can... Gaza be like this. We should look and go, how can America be like this? The real problem with the church in America, and when do we rebuke the oppressor? Or do we just say, yeah, let's vote for Trump. Let's vote for the guy who says you should be allowed to murder babies up to 15 weeks. Great idea. Let's vote for somebody who says we should oppress babies in the womb and make them, treat them as if they're not made in the image of God and destroy them. We are a blind people in the church. Any Christian, how can you vote for Donald Trump? I mean, it's just, to me, it's just so far beyond the pale. You're voting for wickedness. You're voting for a man who's clearly wicked, who will clearly cause the nation to groan, will clearly cause further God's judgment. Oh, but maybe your 401k will go up. We should recognize how much we despise God because we love money. It's really easy for us to look at what's happening in the world and not care what God says about it, and not care what true justice is, to take justice as this feeling, just like we do with love, that this feeling, as opposed to saying, what does God actually say? How should you respond? Because there's difficult things in the world, but what man's really good at is making them worse. What the church is supposed to do is explain how they can be better. May we all have more zeal to do that. This has been The Conquering Truth, a project of Reformation Baptist Church. If you found this helpful, you can visit us online at theconqueringtruth.com and subscribe here or in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for watching.